many founders or creators. And uh, as a matter of fact, I'm also a creator with the fact that I'm so entrepreneurial. Um, but that does not mean that those creators are also salespeople. That's actually something that you see in mature companies where people only follow the system um, and people don't question the system uh, itself anymore. It's my assumption, and assumptions are bad, that we, we, we start with the end while ideally automatically uh, to see what is wrong on the operational level while many challenges have their origin on the strategic level. Welcome to the Revenue Discussion Podcast. This podcast aims to inspire and educate the newest generation of revenue leaders on various subjects related to sales, marketing, revenue operations, and customer success. Every week, we invite an inspirational guest who is willing to share his or her insights, strategies, and tactics that has worked or still working for him or her. Today, we invited Cédric Royer to the show. Cédric is, is uh, honestly one of the greatest sales leaders I know. He has been for more than 20 years in sales, and his specialty, transforming sales to a science. And in this podcast, we'll talk a lot about how to kill intuition by using systems. Enjoy. Hello, Cédric. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm uh, very fine. I'm uh, very happy I can uh, attend the show. I'm uh, looking forward to have a conversation with you. <laughs> That's great. Awesome. Now, Cedric, you have been in sales for many years now. I mean, you have held positions such as VP of sales, head of sales, sales director, you name it. But recently, you made the jump to optimize revenue scaling systems, right? Yes, correct. And accidentally, <laughs> my initiative is called Jump Foundation. So uh, I had to make the jump. At yeah, the yeah, moment, yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So please go ahead and, and tell the, other, the, the audience a little bit about you, you know, who you are, but also why did you make the jump? Yeah, yeah. So who am I? So um, quite international, born in France, grew up in Belgium on the Flemish side, uh, lived in Russia for seven years, lived in uh, Ireland for six years, and now I'm in Spain. Um, married and two kids, um, always in tech sales, uh, started in the previous century. So yes, uh, time flies. Uh, <laughs> so I have been in sales quite a long time. Um, basically, I've sold hardware. I've sold um, um, the, the thing we call before SaaS, which is a ASP. Um, so we made some offering around this, um, but always around tech, uh, hardware, software, uh, security uh, stuff, and so on and so on. Uh, pretty quickly, I became responsible uh, to lead teams going from departments until uh, regions. Um, and yeah, so the reason I made a jump, so I have had uh, some previous entrepreneurial experiences where I was responsible uh, for, for some department and I decided to, uh, um, based on an opportunity, <clears throat> add services or offer services to, to uh, other companies. And yes, I, I'm an entrepreneurial, so I, I learned a lot in corporate, but there are always this uh, looking outside the window and <laughs> seeing one, the opportunity, two, also um, the amount of entrepreneurs that really have brilliant ideas. And um, I, I really want to help those people to make them successful in uh, what they're doing, why they're doing it. <clears throat> you see the gaps in the market. So, so th this is basically why I decided now is the time to jump. Also, partly with the COVID, of course, um, the world is your is a village now. Uh, a lot of things can be done remotely. For example, this podcast, but also like coaching, consulting, uh, shadowing, sales calls, you name it. So, 
um, the market just has has been completely um, influenced by by COVID. Uh, um, when we speak about how long I have been in sales, actually around 2000, I was selling VPN boxes, pieces of hardware from uh, Nokia, piece of software from Checkpoint. So I'm already more than 20 years working with uh, remote working solutions. Um, and honestly, I was surprised why still so many people were kind of shocked that working from home would not be possible. Working from home was a challenge also for the employers. While for me, it's already 20 years normal to work remotely. So <clears throat> uh, I saw the opportunity already uh, much longer. And thank God the, 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 the market has completely shifted into that remote working um, in, environment, which really is a huge opportunity for, for people that see the opportunity and grab it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, it is an opportunity. But so, yeah, you are entrepreneurial. You have definitely your expertise <laughs> because you were 20 years in sales Let's already. Hope, but, eh? but yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I can, I can tell you that. But then you, you decided you were going to help um, other companies to scale their revenue systems. But why do you think there is such a gap or, you know, why could your expertise be there relevant? Do you see some, some type of problems, typical problems that you see? Yeah, so m many founders are creators. And uh, as a matter of fact, I'm also a creator with the fact that I'm so entrepreneurial. Um, but that does not mean that those creators are also salespeople. So um, with their enthusiasm, they, they manage to get those first sales. They understand why the, the customers need the product. However, when they start adding salespeople, there is often uh, a gap between what and how they know their product and their solution versus what they think that salespeople should be able to do, could be do, um, because founder-led sales is completely different, as you know, than, than uh, sales done by, by a sales team. It has completely different dynamics. And this leads to um, loss of opportunity, um, simply because if you think that as a founder, you have done two very big sales, um, that two is also the right number to hit for your salespeople while you know you, you can scale completely differently uh, at the same time when, when you add different people you have different viewpoints you have different f uh, focus points um, you have different ways of doing stuff but if you want to scale if you want to grow you need to systemize this and uh, in, in that sense it's very good to to work with a sales specialist um, and, and here again there is the opportunity so a, a big challenge is there also will i hire somebody Will I hire a VP sales or a sales director or a head of sales, whatever you call it, or will I bring in somebody for a limited amount of time, structure everything, mm. structure the processes, um, building the systems around it, building that sales playbook. And then when I have this, okay, let's stay in touch regularly, but I don't need to pay a full-time person to lead or to manage my team. So as a matter of fact, you see quite a lot of uh, offerings of uh, fractional VP of sales um, and, and, and so on. So there is definitely a gap and, and a need for this. Um, so again, there that is the opportunity and with remote working, with the growth of the entrepreneurs and, and so on. Yeah, that's definitely something that you see coming up, the fractional VPs uh, of sales of the fractional CMOs nowadays. Yeah. All right, so now if you, suppose you enter a new company today, what will be the, the first thing that you look into? Uh, talking to people, first of all, and secondly, looking at the pipeline. Uh, and, and, and again, there's so talking to people to understand who are we working with. 
Um, what is the vision of the leader or, or the founder? How are they looking at their product? How do they translate it? <clears throat> um, and there, the, the first learning is that we are all sitting way too close towards our own solution. And I'm guilty myself, you're guilty at it. We are just in our business day in, day out. We, are, we, have, a, we have some blind spots just because we're too close to certain things. Mm-hmm. So even adding somebody external for, um, um, for a while, you will already know that uh, some things that, that were uh, common for you, when you look at it from a different point, uh, perspective, you can have a very quick uh, uh, change uh, because you, 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 some, somebody else sees the blind spots that you have. So um, when, when I talk to people, also when I look at the salespeople, I look at, first of all, the potential. Why are they there? So um, I don't know if later we'll talk about this, but that's also maybe a lesson. Don't hire everybody who wants to work for you. Uh, work people that really are uh, standing behind your cause, standing behind your technology, see the opportunity. Um, is, that, is, that, is, is that something easy to do, you think? Well, understanding if they why they join the company or being behind the, the yeah, just cause. recruit recruit the right people that indeed believe the co- believe in the cause because if they come and really want to work for you because of you know the short term opportunity or whatever they they find attractive to your company they might come r- really motivated and energetic and ambitious while maybe they are not a real fit with the purpose and the long term vision of the company but is that then something you think is hard to to see or do you have maybe tricks to to know which people are a good fit. Well, when 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 I joined uh, companies myself, I wasn't necessarily uh, over enthusiastic about the, the the vision and so on. That's why the onboarding part will be uh, uh, very important. So the the challenge is to understand the drive, the, the the passion for me entrepreneurial that they're coachable. So that first part when you hire people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the same time, your responsibility to have an onboarding system to really make them understand why, why, why. Uh, when I joined, for example, NVIDIA, it was okay, we got, we are going to power the last pixel in the world. That was um, a strong ambition and we know why we did the certain things. Plus the technology was a superior to any other thing on the, on the, on the market. Uh, when I joined Indeed, okay, um, it is what it is. I mean, you, you, you sell uh, advertisement space, you sell... Um, uh, HRTech solutions. However, the key mission is we help people finding jobs. And this is something that really attracted uh, a huge number of people. Uh, and it's actually a very nice thing to do because then you had all these uh, witnesses of people uh, coming to listen. Because of you, I could pay my rent, I could buy a mm-hmm. home, I could do, I could start studying and so on and so on. So it is really something that you can rally people around. And, and this is important. So it's not just, okay, what does the candidate has to offer, but it's also what do we have to offer and how are we living the vision? How are we um, day to day, well, let me say it, um, um, uh, working because they're living division, but a working division, making sure that the things that we, we promise that they actually happen. Um, and this is, th- that focus is, uh, is very important. Yeah, and something that you say there is that you don't only do to do the job or, you know, it's not you sell just features, you really want to feel the customer benefits, you want to feel the, the impact. And I think that's maybe a, a good thing that every company should try to adopt, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and then uh, when you talk about sales, also before uh, you sold the solution, when you do your discovery, uh, that you come with a, with a story, that you come with uh, references or, or, or uh, case studies, and that you see the eyes of the person, and, and no more and more hints with Zoom and other things, that you see the eyes of the person like, oh, I need this. 
for me, I need this for my company and because these and these and these are, are the advantages uh, for me, uh, what's in it for me, mm -hmm. these are the advantages <laughs> for my organization, these are the pains that, that uh, my company will be able to solve, it is part of a priority and I am going to champion this for you. So it, it, it's a whole thing in, uh, in, um, um, in, in, in bringing this over, uh, not only to your candidate, but also to, to your customers. Uh, and, and this is something that um, I can help with building up with. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, because I know that you are a system guy. You like to have systems in place. So maybe I'm, I'm just curious to find out, you know, what is your ultimate systems? How does, it, how does your ultimate systems look like? How do you try to process uh, that revenue scaling system into companies? Yeah, and, and of course, it's not one system. Um, the, the goal to grow is to systemize what you're doing. Um, and and, and there, there are a bunch of different systems, right? So if, if you look at the start, for example, when we are aligning people that we have a communication system, I'm going to call it, eh? how will you communicate, who will communicate, what you will communicate, when will you communicate that? So, and, and this is not a, a high tech, this is just that this is set up and that this is executed. Eh? Um, then that you have the basics right in creating a lead gen system, not just um, having some uh, adverts or having some posts on LinkedIn and then hoping that uh, there is an inbound lead coming, that you have um, the, the checklist, ebooks to, to uh, uh, attract uh, people, that you have then an, uh, an outbound follow-up system. Um, so, so these are second systems, but then, then you have other systems like pipeline management system. So again, that you have consistency in uh, understanding where are we with our deals across the board that one person is not thinking, oh yeah, this deal will come in next week if they have not even done a discovery call, for example, and other people think completely the opposite way. So you build in systems for growth, but also for predictability. Mm -hmm. um, um, so so they're like 20, 25 core systems that uh, um, companies ideally have if they want to grow. Okay, okay. And so if you say systems, is it does it has to be something linear? Because if you say about lead generation, you know, I, I, I immediately think of, all right, but you can do multiple ways of lead gen. But if you say you implement a system, is it really a sequential linear journey? Well, that, that's a good question uh, because if you go <clears throat> put on the lead gen system, it can be serial. However, we all know, okay, I, I assume most people know the buyer journey as well. So they, um, might download an ebook for their own learning. However, they might all be in, uh, also download an, an ebook because they're researching a technology, researching a, a service. Um, that does not mean that you will immediately start pitching to them. So there are different layers in how you will approach somebody in, in, in building up. Huh? And if, if you say linear or not, um, multi-channel, it, it can be linear. Multi-channel can also be a, a parallel. So there are different touch points, um, but that's, when, when I think about it, there's a lot of things to say about this because you also have when you when you uh, target certain customers, then you might target different contact people within uh, that, that prospect, within that mm -hmm. company. Um, so where you will build different uh, types of uh, content for those different types of uh, uh, people that you're targeting. So it's, it's, uh, it's not as simple as just, oh, I have a system in place. I really think it through. And then again, to make it simple again. Um, because if, if it's too complex, you will confuse uh, everybody. Yeah, definitely. And also a question I'm, I'm asking, because if you say systems, you know, you, you really have to follow 
the rules, the guidelines, and the data. But sometimes you also have to use your intuition. So how do you try to balance your intuition versus the use of the systems? Uh, could you give an example when you have to use your intuition? For example, sometimes you, you, know, you, you cannot take a decision because you don't have the data yet, but at the, at the same time, you know that speed is everything, and your intuition says that maybe it's a good time to, I don't know, to follow up now or to give that call or whatever. But so when do you try to make that call of, I follow my guts, I follow my intuition, versus, you know, I'm just going to make it simple for myself, follow the system, and then everything will be all right. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And, and, and that's, that's actually something that you see in mature companies where people only follow the system um, and people don't question the system uh, itself anymore. So they have put, I'm going to call them rules uh, in place or processes in place. Uh, and then they don't ask anyone, why do they actually exist those processes? And for me, uh, one of the, the, the biggest examples is if you look at Amazon. Um, so they have now that concept of... Um, um, uh, contactless shopping where you just uh, take the stuff from the shelves and then you you go away and then if you look at the traditional retail where you have the the, the task of taking an item out of the shelf put it in your basket you you finish everything you take out the item from the basket again put it on the belt the the cashier um, takes it scans it and then and then you put it back in a bag and then you put it in the car da, 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 da. so these are a lot of processes and those retailers are looking in how can we optimize those processes while Amazon said, okay, how can we get rid of all these processes? And, and this is innovation, this is entrepreneurial. So yes, def, to give an answer then on, on, on your question, yes, it's um, uh, you always have to, uh, one, question it, but also use your guts. Are we doing the right things and are we doing the right things right? So um, if you say, okay, I won't follow the process because the outcome is is uh, crucial, the outcome will be this, then uh, yeah, just uh, forget about the process. Um, as long as it, again, uh, we can then systemize how it has been done. Um, and we, because mm -hmm. it's important also to, to, to be agile, you always should be able to, to test things and to fine tune uh, things. Yeah. Yeah, you said there's something that you need to do the you always need to do to try to do the right things, but how do you sometimes, or how what is your go-to advice maybe to to discover what the right things are? Because sometimes you are in your own bubble, in your own context. Eh? Sometimes you have those blind spots. But so how do you go and, and you know discover what other possibilities there are in the market, or what other systems, or what other best practices there are? Out uh, by testing, by talking to people. Um, so. To give an example, um, sometimes people say, okay, you have to come in high uh, with, a, with a customer. So you start talking to a C level or, or a C minus one. Um, but then somebody else might say, hey, actually, I uh, had uh, five conversations with somebody on the operational level and I managed to book a demo and they invited the decision maker. So maybe we'll go that way. So then uh, a reflex could be, no, uh, our process is to uh, follow, the C, uh, follow the C level and then engage in conversations with them. Um, while it might be interesting to see, okay, can we increase uh, sales velocity by talking first to those five uh, operational people and then uh, going into a demo and, or a discovery, then demo and, and, and so on. Um, um, at the same time, personally, I do believe it's always uh, better to enter it in, in the C-level, right? So <laughs> always give the people the chance to test and to uh, uh, confirm or to challenge uh, the thesis. Uh, yeah. At the, um, so, yeah. Uh, definitely, definitely. Gotcha. 
All right, so just to continue on the system topic, because if you have systems, I suppose you also have those metrics in place. But what are the key metrics for you that you always want to track and better even optimize? Yeah, so for me, there should always be a basic activity, um, because if you don't have activity, you cannot start uh, measuring what you do during the activity. You, you simply don't have enough data. Um, mm -hmm. so, so when we have the activity, we look at the type of uh, quality activity then, um, very ho how many conversations do you have there, how many demos do you set per week. Um, um, and then also if you look at the, the, the velocity, um, what is the average deal size? However, that's also an important, uh, a very dangerous one because you have uh, customers like Big Whales where the sales velocity is completely different than mm. um, mid-market deals. So also there don't look at it just as a blind metric because a metric is only a metric. Um, look at how you use it. Um, and also what is important is that I look at the pipeline size, uh, pipeline pipeline activity. When, when do you touch your uh, opportunities? Mm. Um, and then, yeah, of course, uh, your, your, how do you reach your target? Do you reach your target? Yes or no. Uh, and, and then again, we go first back to activity before, before we look at, uh, the skills. And yeah. when we look at the skills, then we can say, what do people say during the conversation? Um, are we building urgency if it is uh, possible? Are we building urgency? Are we discovering, um, are we controlling those next steps? Um, so that, that's, and I said the, the second part. Yeah. All right. So, so yeah, I have activity, velocity, pipeline size, less touch. Do they reach the targets? Yes or no? Mm -hmm. um, if you say, if you talk about, you know, the velocity and pipeline size, you know, you have those big whales. Uh, do you then try to have different benchmarks <coughs> for the velocity depending on the potential deal size? Um, in general, yes. Um, because it also helps uh, positioning for a sales rep that big whale. Uh, my experience is that when you have people that come from uh, transaction sales or inside sales, when they work with the uh, uh, big whales, they look at the number. Okay, for example, let's say three months for a deal. I immediately need to start uh, transacting. I immediately st need to start pitching. Then uh, the, the deal goes uh, south. So there you have to go slow uh, to go faster mm -hmm. than later. Um, and also in forecasting, uh, you, for me, I look at the pipeline excluding those big wells to see if they uh, uh, have those uh, metrics right. Um, because when the deal does not fall, that, that big well does not fall or it doesn't fall within the quarter or even year that you forecasted in, then uh, you, have, uh, you have a problem, of course. So yeah, I put them aside. Um, also on the coaching, also on the, on the, on the, on the uh, preparation of the calls uh, and so on. Yeah, because, I mean, ultimately the goal of, of having a good pipeline management system in place is to have some consistency during the, I mean, over the different deals. But I can imagine if you have a big whale, it's always going to be different, right? Uh, it, yeah, it, it's always or, going or to be different. Or is it not? I don't know. It is always going to be different. Um, as, and then I was thinking if you have multiple big whales with multiple different uh, sales reps, then it's going to completely skew your, skew your um, pipeline. Um, and, and what I see there is that, and, and I see many good things, right? So, um, big whales are not deals just for the, the sales rep. You work with the entire, uh, uh, team around it. So you it's will include your director, you will include the VP sales or the CEO, definitely. Um, so it's not the, the, the only responsibility. So the sales rep closes, but the entire team, uh, helps uh, that, uh, sales rep closing the deal and progressing the deal. 
Is it then, so, is it then mm -hmm. right to say that for a big whale, you should expect the worst, but hope for the best? As in, you shouldn't actually take it into consideration in, in you know, the forecasting, etc. but you should still try to do your best and, and hope to get a deal out of it. Well, it's not hope. It's, again, systems. Um, <laughs> and that's when, when you work with a team, so you will assess who do I speak inside the, the, that company. If you have, a big, you have a big whale, a huge opportunity, but when you only talk to that operational person, that operational person is not a budget owner or a decision maker, then um, you can you should not put it in any forecast whatsoever. However, when you see mm. that you start knowing who is the decision maker, you're in contact with the decision maker. Uh, if you understand this is part of the priorities or this year's priorities, even when the budget owner says, yes, uh, this is something. So so there are different uh, um, elements to, to qualify. <clears throat> and a big value, you constantly qualify them to um, uh, put them to, to, to put them in, in your forecasting, yes or no. Eh? And then either they, they become a uh, best case or they will be an upside. So when will you commit them? So there, it, that's why it's a, um, a mid-market deal is faster. So you have many more of them, either it falls or it doesn't fall, but a big well has such a big impact on the revenue that that's better than to, to approach it in a different way. Yeah, yeah. And then that. again, there in the pipeline management system to, to understand, okay, from that moment on, when we have those conditions met, when you have done our diagnosis, then we will put them in into start to put them in in, a, in our forecast. Yeah, yeah, and I see that you work indeed with a with a lot of condition when it comes to pipeline management. What is what is then also maybe the the biggest mistake or the biggest issue that you see when it comes to pipeline management? Is it that people just don't work with conditions and just move the deal forward based on that intuition, perhaps? Yeah, that's it. So, and and that's that's why I asked previously. Uh, give me give me uh, a question. <laughs> Tell me about uh, intuition, because especially pipeline management, there it's it's really a science. Um, <clears throat> and the biggest mistake that I see is that people they don't put uh, conditions for the customer. So they they give and they give. They do a splendid job of uh, doing discovery questions. They do a splendid job of understanding who is the decision maker, how does the orc uh, look inside. They understand that it's a priority of their goals and pains. Bam, bam, bam. And so on, so I don't need to retell the entire story here now. Um, but they, they forget that they need commitments from their from those customers, from those prospects as well. Does the customer says yes when it is a priority? Does the customer give um, more information from what is going on inside the organization? Yes or no? And then you set criteria on when will we put one opportunity from one stage to the other stage? And um, um, the moment you put this into place, so not only the gifts, but also the gets and the conditions, you see mm. a complete a complete change in how um, the pipeline management is done, the impact on forecast. So for example, it's already a couple of times I did it and in one quarter, the forecasting accuracy goes from 30 to 90% and even more. <clears throat> so it really goes fast. And you can know across wow. the board that uh, as an owner, a founder, a VP sales, I know, okay, my pipeline gives a correct view of where am I with my revenue, how many new deals do we have, how many closings do we have per week, per month, uh, and so on, rather than having that, um, uh, that, that uh, uh, individual way of looking at uh, pipeline, uh, which, which is uh, often, yeah, uh, not at all. Yeah. No, but I love what you said, Debbie, because you said something, you know, you, you said you, you, you give a lot as a sales rep, but it's not only giving, it's also getting a lot of information and really information that you can check off your list because that also gives you focus as a sales rep. 
right? It yeah. gives you priority. Yeah. You know what you should be looking after, and only if <coughs> those uh, those conditions are fulfilled, you can you can continue with uh, yeah. with the process. And it's also for yourself. I mean, um, I was once involved in a deal a couple of years ago with uh, actually a Belgian hospital. Um, and uh, the sales rep said, okay, yeah, it's, it's going to come in, uh, but the deal did not come in. So I called to the CEO and said, um, yeah, just wondering about the deal. And they said, yeah, yeah, we said, yeah, the deal will come, uh, no problem. However, we need to have uh, for that amount of money, uh, a board of director meeting and to, to get the budget uh, allocated. And this happens, uh, the next one is in, was it three or four weeks? But that was those three or four weeks. We're in the next quarter, so we missed that deal for the quarter. So oh. that had a kind of impact. So, but at, at the same time, it, it was a learning, right? So I, I should have been more involved. So I, I was definitely uh, involved. Um, <laughs> at the same time, as an organization, it could have been interesting if you had uh, the, the conditions. When do we need to know what is mm -hmm. the, the purchasing process? Um, is there any legal involved? Uh, and so that we know this, if it takes four weeks, that we don't forecast the deal two weeks at the end of the quarter, yeah, it's going it's right. to fall. So these are all things that, that you need to, that, that ideally you understand when you do your pipeline management and then you, when you work with the deals to understand where is the deal and why is it so. And this is the science part of it. Interesting. How does that link, um, how can you link that maybe also to, you know, the power of saying no? Because perhaps you have, you know, potential clients, prospects that, you know, would like to continue the process, but where you maybe say no because of those conditions. Is that something that you do or you recommend to do? Or do you say always listen to the, to the prospect <coughs> and try to still adapt and, and, and try to help the way you can? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty direct. So a very strong yes. This is something that I can only encourage people to do <laughs> uh, because it's also your time and time that you spend writing a proposal for one prospect um, is time wasted if you don't have the conditions, if you don't have the, the, the commitment from the, the, that prospect or that customer, uh, as long as they don't say uh, what you need to hear according to the system, right? Then um, you should not spend time uh, on this. Uh, you, you should keep on talking to them, but doing that admin stuff, no. Uh, same, um, <clears throat> if they say, okay, show me what you have, if you have not, not identified its priority yet, or if it's the right person that can accelerate in that deal inside the organization, then I can strongly uh, suggest no. Um, and for example, what, what I see everywhere, um, that the, the demo part is something that people are the most reluctant in, in, in doing this and saying no. Um, because people assume if they have seen my demo, we are in, we start the conversation. Mm. Uh, however, there it's still uh, for me, um, to say it in an extreme way, a waste of time, as long as the, the customer has not given firm commitments. Um, for example, if... Before or after the demo? Before. Okay. The, everything, everything is from the discovery. So even if you have a discovery with um, an operational person, in the next meeting, ideally, you have somebody higher up uh, or some, some other stakeholder who will attend the, the demo. And why is this? The operational pers person has only the operational viewpoint. They don't mm. have that span of control to really understand the impact that your solution can have on a strategic level. Um, and the operational person will look at their budget if they have any in um, um, for the potential cost or the potential mm -hmm. return for, for their solution. While your solution might be completely might completely encompass the entire organization. So this is why it's 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 so important. Um, 
But don't you believe in, in, in having a quick, easy win for <laughs> them perhaps, you know, upsell and, and, and try to involve more people into the solution that you offer? Can you can you repeat ahead? Uh... Yeah, so because you, you said that if you are, for example, in uh, in contact with someone that's that's working at an, at a, at an operational level, you know he doesn't he or she doesn't see the the holistic view of how the solution can help the entire company, also at a strategic level. But maybe it's also good to have that quick first win to work with only the operational level to then further upsell with the entire organization to also help at a strategic level. Um. And, and define uh, the first win, the first close? Yeah, the, the first win. So maybe a smaller deal um, where you only help the people at the operational level because once you're in, well, once you have already a foot in into the company, inside the company, you can maybe try to uh, to help further. Yeah, yeah. But at, at this level, I would uh, always involve uh, decision makers to make the scope as, well, okay, one focused as possible, but also as wide as possible to measure the impact. Perhaps selling one license doesn't mean not doesn't mean anything for you, um, and I understand what you're saying. If you look at um, organizations, they would spend way too much time to have that small deal. Let me say one k, five k. You really need a very very high velocity organization to to be able to support this, uh, rather than going for these ten, twenty, one hundred k deals. Um, so in in that sense, it's better to. Uh, qualified an opportunity like this out, keep on nurturing it, uh, go uh, higher up and, and talk about it. Okay, yes, that person was very interested because of these and these and these reasons. So it can be used as um, uh, inspiration. Um, um, but I would not uh, do it um, because you would, you, you would waste your, your time on, on too, sm too many too small, uh, small deals. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So you know, sometimes you have a you have an issue in the company, um, but it's maybe hard to say if it's at the operational level, tactical level, strategic level. How do you go and and try to discover where it is that you know the revenue is being stuck? Um, I think I um, it's my assumption, and assumptions are bad. That we 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 start with the end, while ideally it, automatically uh, to see what is wrong on the operational level while many challenges have their origin on the strategic level. Uh, even identifying your ICP, maybe there is no traction or maybe there's low demand or your sales reps cannot book meetings because the ICP has been incorrectly defined, so the, the ideal customer profile, um, or uh, the use, there is no definition of what is a good use case uh, or no compelling story. So what, what I see is that sometimes sales reps or left to their own, um, and that they are expected to build those uh, uh, th those flows, those those uh, 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 drip fed uh, messaging, and so mm -hmm. on. While their job, their only job, should be talking to customers and closing deals. That's it. That's very simple. And and everything else should be done by op by uh, operating uh, supporting uh, organizations. And this mind shift um, can have huge consequences because. If you start then everything on the on the strategic side, you really aim that ICP. You really nail those uh, those case, the way you describe your case studies, your use cases. You really name your storyline. Then it becomes so much easier to sell uh, for the salespeople. So and then you see that the activity goes up, the customer facing time goes up for the sales rep, uh, the conversion rate goes up, 
Um, rather than talking about all oh, the sales reps, they're not uh, closing. How is it possible that the sales rep and we have the bad sales rep? Da, 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 da. So, so again, so the, the reactive mode versus going back to basics. Uh, that's that's something that uh, can have huge impact. Yeah, so that's interesting because actually, what you want to maximize, and that's maybe a metric that you didn't you didn't uh, mention earlier, is that you really want to maximize the customer facing time, right? Yeah, for the sales rep yeah. at least. Yeah, definitely. And and also there, when, when I talk about this, it, it can sound that I want to give much pressure, more stress to people. No, it has to be, what will we do um, to maximize the, let me say, eight hours of working time that the, that the sales rep has? <clears throat> and then on the one hand, we set expectations at the, uh, what, 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 are, what is best in class. At the same time, we look at how can we support those salespeople by let me call it outsourcing everything that is not core to the sales job mm. to the supporting departments. Um, so I know companies that uh, where salespeople don't even have to make the proposals, they don't have to make any any presentations, um, wow. they don't have to do any pre-sales, not not sometimes not even any demo. So so that really that that they can fully focus on discovery building that customer intimacy, really become a trusted advisor, and of course the average sales value is then, is then also higher, but that's then the same outcome. When, you, when you're constantly going for these small upsells, as, as we just said, right, the 1,000, 5,000 uh, deals, but by spending a bit more time, by being able to focus on this, by being able to work in, in virtual team size, uh, where you have uh, marketing supporting you, where you have uh, pre-sales supporting you, uh, then you really can really dig in into that customer and, and build that compelling use case, or you can immediately qualify out saying, yeah, there's no priority this year, but we will nurture. So um, the goal here is not to put all the burden on the salesperson, quite the opposite. It's just uh, letting them do what the salespeople are best at, whether it's farming, upselling with existing customers, or hunting people that love talking to customers, love challenging them, and love uh, closing those deals. But in some way, I'm pretty sure that's also a debatable topic because if you have all those specialized roles, right, people that, you know, help with creating the proposals or that they help define the, the right ideal customer, the one that, then the actual sales rep that go and, 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 and have those customer facing times, then I can also imagine that you create extra silos and you will hurt your speed probably, right? And well, I don't know if that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, silos is a, is, um, is, is a huge topic, obviously, and we need to avoid having silos. This is why it's, well, let me say it differently. If you look at traditionally, the old sales way, because what I say, I know it might sound like, okay, the, 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 the lone wolf that goes uh, uh, for a coffee and then mysteriously comes out with a, with a purchase order of a couple <laughs> of million. Um, and then when that lone wolf disappears and goes to another company, that customer follows that lone wolf. These days are gone. Um, it's all about collaboration. And um, you see it like um, uh, athletes where maybe they're on the field, but you have a whole team around them with people that uh, give them massages and nutritional tips that, that really support them to, to mm. become successful as a team. And that specialization is also happening in sales, whether you want it or not. So, But the fact that you have collaboration, you don't have those silos because you constantly work with each other to, for the same outcome. Um, so then when I say that, you might say additional people might be an additional cost, but the fact that the salesperson can focus on what he or she is doing best will lead to a, a far better, far better outcome. Uh, no need to spend loads of time on, on admin, no need to spend lots of time on making those presentations and so on. Um, 
Um, so it, it really leads to a huge uh, upside in sales. Yeah, no, definitely. At least when done right. Because I can imagine that yeah. unconsciously you create those silos because, you know, you have all your own priorities. And, but maybe there you, I mean, don't you have some, 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 some experience on how to try to, you know, not have those silos in place? Because I suppose communications and, you know, communication, the expectations is very important, but maybe also rotations in, yeah. in jobs. Uh, I don't know if you have any experience with that before. Does it help? Yeah. Yeah, job rotation or let me say before COVID, uh, physically rotation. So I know organizations that uh, every six months they, they do a shuffle. So mm -hmm. uh, people from one team uh, go sitting uh, into, into other teams and you really see the dynamic changing. You see f uh, friendships are being built uh, and, and they last after the, the next shuffle. People are involved in those projects. So again, that's why that collaboration is so important because you, you, you form those social bonds in a formal uh, setting, a forum setting in, in, in a business meeting, mm -hmm. and they last. So, and this really breaks through the, the traditional silos, uh, which is frankly something that is much more in, in mature companies rather than uh, scale-ups. Yeah, no, interesting. Now, what is the advice that you give to, the, to most sales managers? Um, that's a good one. Can you be a bit more specific because, because I give a ton of advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Maybe we should link back to, uh, to your strengths, right? To, to having right systems in place. And so I'm, I'm just thinking of when you have to coach a, a sales rep on particular deals or whatever, what's, what's the advice that you give there? What should they, what's the role of the sales manager when you have such a good pipeline management system in place? Yeah, so it's um, it's uh, so it's, in, in, when you look at pipeline management, the sales manager has different uh, um, uh, tasks. Mm -hmm. um, let's start by the end. Uh, they will ultimately decide to qualify in or out. Uh, at the same time, the opportunity is, and they will look at it from um, another point of view, so they can see they can spot uh, opportunities um, to accelerate the deal that maybe the sales rep has not seen. Again, because we have those blind spots, uh, mm -hmm. so that that's why a pipeline review is so important. Um, on that sense, many people are anxious about their next pipeline review, um, but they shouldn't be. So the sales manager should also uh, under, uh, make the sales rep understand why we have a pipeline review, what is the potential outcome, uh, and how we will help them. Um, also, by the way, sales managers sh should spot opportunities for other people to help that sales rep, um, because. Uh, we just spoke about collaboration. Uh, many sales reps, they, they talk about their sales pipeline. That also means they go after those deals all by themselves. But again, there are sales managers mm. say, okay, listen, engage this person, involve me, let's do this together, um, um, uh, this. Um, and then, um, um, yeah, uh, uh, challenge um, the, the sales rep, a good sales rep, like stretch goals. Um, so see how we can accelerate certain deals without pushing the customer, obviously, but what is the opportunity? Where can we build urgency? Uh, and so on. All right. Good one. So now tell, uh, because you, you have had, I mean, about 20 years of experience now or even more. So you, you've probably made a couple of mistakes along the way. <laughs> so can you maybe share a little, a couple of mistakes that you have made that you say, guys, if you can try to not do this because I did it and it didn't go well, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, a, a, a big learning when you become a sales leader. And uh, as also maybe as, as a founder, don't think you know it all. And even if you know the solution, 
don't work top down. And this is a huge mistake I have made uh, multiple times um, where um, I understand the why, uh, I understand the what, uh, and this is this made me assume that I will also say the how, but that a leader, if you have no followers, then you're not really a leader. So mm. creating that accountability is hugely important to, uh, well, to, to create one team, uh, first of all. Uh, secondly, to create that accountability with your with the salespeople and to also make them understand why uh, they, they, they should do it. So by involving them in, in defining the how, um, because if you say, okay, this is the path, this is where we will go, help them building that, that journey um, rather than letting them be passive. Uh, so this was a very important lesson. I have lost people because of this, um, oh, good wow. people. So this was a, this, this is, this was a, this is terrible, obviously. Um, then, and uh, something else I learned uh, was uh, when the customer is about to this, to say yes, don't say, oh, yeah, by the way, I have another solution <laughs> because this slows down the process tremendously. Oh, no. Um, and I, this, this happens in the beginning of my sales career with uh, a, a bank where there were like 12 people from the bank around uh, the table uh, and we were the three of us and the procurement department challenged our pricing. <laughs> and I said, yes, but if you want, I can. Uh, and then you, 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 the moment I said this, you felt the silence around the table so hard oh. so um, <laughs> oh, no. yeah it is at the moment you don't forget it. <laughs> yeah that that's one of these moments that uh, that uh, you don't forget yeah but you get the learnings out of it that's uh, that's also important yeah. well fortunately yeah <laughs> all right cedric well thank you so much for all the learnings that you share here with us if people want to find out more about you or want to get help from you where can uh, where can they reach you well, they can uh, uh, find me on LinkedIn. So it's LinkedIn and then uh, Cedric Ray. Or they uh, can send me an uh, email to cedric at jump.foundation. And I'm always interested in uh, learning from you guys and uh, um, understand what are your challenges, how you want to move forward. So uh, always interested uh, in having a chat. Awesome. Now, Cedric, the ultimate question for you. If Cedric Royer was a brand, what would it stand for? If I was a brand, um, that's a good one. Um, I'm, I, I, I'm a carer. Um, I would like. I, I genuinely want that uh, everybody is successful and uh, optimizes their potential. And uh, uh, it's my thing to, to my thing to care. So my goal is that I can provide for my family, that I can, uh, but at the same time, that I can help people so they can provide and they can uh, care for their uh, family and, and uh, surroundings. So uh, that's, that's, that would be me. I like that one. It says a lot about you. <laughs>